You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Oh, it's obvious. It's obvious. Yeah. So, yeah. Probably more. Carol's is not argumentative. Not not quick to engage in a contest. In other words, not doesn't quickly strike back at the person. Doesn't see it as a competition. Marilyn. Not violent. That's pretty good, isn't it? Not violent. That just doesn't have that character. It's important for, of course, that goes for everybody, but it's important for elders because elders deal with a lot of conflict and they have to be not, they get accused of a lot of stuff. So they have to be slow to anger, not, not quick to throw that back at somebody and get upset about it. it. If they were quick to lose their temper, it would be a problem. Uh, now, Brian Atmore apparently has lost his temper a few times. That's a joke. You get it? Remember, he doesn't have a temper because he lost his? Yeah. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> it says, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. So it kind of contrasts pugnacious with the next couple of words. Uh, gentle, well translated gentle or patient. It has a sense of being appropriate and equitable, uh, reasonable in the way that you deal with things, gracious. And then peaceable is kind of an interesting word. I think King James says not a brawler. I don't know what other translations you might have. It literally means without battling, without a battle, without a fight. It's a person who's without a fight. He's not quarrelsome. He's not walking around with a chip on his shoulder, in other words. He's without battling. And this is important for elders. If you turn to Second Timothy for a second, chapter 2. Some direction given to Timothy that kind of goes in line with gentle and peaceable. Second Timothy two verses twenty four and twenty five. It says, "The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth." So that's his direction for Timothy. And remember, the direction for Timothy here too is pretty strong against false teachers and whatever. But Timothy has to understand his battle is not with flesh and blood. And that's what elders have to understand. Yeah, they have to refute and contradict sometimes and correct. But it's done in a spirit of gentleness and peace. Not pugnacious. Uh, similar word as a pugilist. You know what a pugilist is? Going back to pugnacious. A boxer. It's the same idea. Uh, free from the love of money. Or literally not a lover of silver. Not someone who loves silver or money. This is my father-in-law that just came in late. Just want you all to know that. <clears throat> That's my father-in-law back there. <clears throat> he tried to kill me. I told you about that. Uh, so free from the love of money and not a lover of money. It's a... It's a really long word, and it just, again, basically means it doesn't love silver, doesn't love money. It's uh, it's used 
often in Scripture, this idea is used often in Scripture whenever Paul is talking or, or anybody's talking about false teachers. They often see the desire for money as the motivation for those people. Just about anybody you can name in modern times who's a false teacher, at least part of the motivation is greed for something. Not always money, but sometimes other, you know, pleasures. Um, we could name some. Benny Hinn, extremely wealthy guy, right? Yeah, I imagine he has a few. Um, Warren Jeff, the, the polygamous leader in Texas, right? There's some clear greed issues there. Uh, you can go on the Moonies, uh, Joseph Smith, Jim Jones. It's very often that's the motivation. Why? Why is someone so excited to teach something false and heretical? What? What is the point? Especially if they know that it's false or heretical. There has to be something to that, right? It's not just to deceive, you wouldn't think. Yeah. Not just money, power, right? Uh, back over to First Timothy for a second, and I'm, I'm finding little bits of First Timothy that kind of illuminate the qualifications we've been going through. First Timothy chapter 6 and verses 3 through 10. Relates error of uh, the, the false teaching and greed. It says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's the contrast with free from the love of money. Elders especially, all of us, elders especially have to be content with what they have. Now, especially paid elders... I mean, we all have to be, but especially paid elders, because oftentimes paid elders aren't paid a whole lot. Right? That's often true. Honey? For sure. And it's talking about the love of money, the pursuit of money, the desire for money, right? It's okay to be nothing wrong with... Like John MacArthur, I don't know, I assume he probably has a fair amount of money. He writes a lot of books and people buy them and are edified by them. It's all perfectly legitimate. 
But those books come out of his intense desire to exegete the Word and share it with his people. They're always books that have arisen from a message or series of messages that he's given. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to be content with what you have and not desiring after money. Now, there's a flip side of that that we're going to look at a little bit later. It's the responsibility of the people to make sure that your elder is compensated at such a level that this isn't more of a temptation than it ought to be. If a man can't care for his family, he's not going to be content with what he has. So we have to make sure that that happens. We'll see that later. Does that make sense? Again, elder has to be above reproach here in relationship to wealth. Now, here's a little bit more controversial one that I wanted to spend some time on. Back to 1 Timothy 3, now verse 4. And we'll read a couple of verses here. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? I want to be careful about how I say this, so I want to make sure I'm doing everything right here. I think that passage is fairly clear. It actually clarifies itself. It has to be somebody who can manage his own household well. The one thing that I think deserves some clarification is the word that's translated well. It's a, a, an interesting word. It's used quite often. It's the word kalos. It's generally translated right, well, or good. And unfortunately, that doesn't convey a lot of meaning in English. That just right, well, good just means good. It doesn't mean much. But it actually means something that is beautiful, that is well-built, that is intrinsically valuable and good, that we could understand it to be good if we could see the craftsmanship of it, but we can see that it is good from just looking at it. So it's externally good as well as sort of internally good. So why that why that's important? That elder must have a household that is good, that is exemplary from the outside. That is someone looking at that elder's household would have to say, That's good. That is that conforms with biblical patterns. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it's gotta be good. It's more than just that the, the elder, his management of his household is good, but that the result he achieves is also good. Okay? So that's, that's the kind of two parts of this. He has to do his part, but he also has to have an exemplary result. Whether or not he does his part. Okay? He has to do both. Alright? So you see why that is important. It's been important here. And it's important to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to postpone that one because I postpone all good questions. <laughs> and because that's addressed more in Titus than here in in 1 Timothy, okay? But of course, it it applies to this, right? 
And, and I just want to hold off on that because in Titus it says, uh, some versions of your Bible will say that the man has to have faithful children. Others say he has to have believing children. And it's a big difference, so we have to understand exactly what is meant there. I think that that goes along more with your question. Let me let me give you an example, okay? If Diane woke up tomorrow morning, Diane's my wife, if you don't know, and she decided that she was going to leave the house and she was going to pursue her dream of becoming a professional bowler or whatever. <laughs> She's a pretty good bowler, actually. Would I be qualified to serve as an elder? If, let's say I had done nothing wrong. It, she just lost her mind. Okay? Would I be qualified? Is my household exemplary at that point? Do I have credibility if I teach you about what the Bible says about marriage? No. <laughs> no. She's a pretty good bowler. I, you know. okay. Now, is it a permanent disqualification? Maybe not, but... Yeah, she left the house. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a... That's a no, I think that's a, I think that's a great part of this question. What if it's through no fault of anybody? In my view, and in the view that we have exercised at this church, I'm disqualified. Because I don't have a household that is exemplary, for whatever reason. Remember the dwarf, don't forget the dwarf. Right? The dwarf is not a dwarf because of his own decisions or anybody else's. He's just a dwarf, and he's disqualified for me to preach. Same sort of idea. Sort I may have had something to do with it, kind of unbeknownst to me. I thought I was doing everything right. Then I see her getting the, the bowling ball, and I, then one day there's shoes and a little shirt with her name on it. Yeah, maybe I drove her crazy. Yeah. What he did, he allows this thing to happen, and I am now disqualified. I don't have a right to be an elder. It's not a privilege to be an elder. It's a calling to be an elder. It's it's at the, the discretion of the Holy Spirit. And if it's, if the Holy Spirit so determines I'm no longer qualified, I'm no longer qualified. Now, the, my response ought to be, okay, I'll continue to serve in whatever whatever capacity I can. I can continue to teach. Right? Now, there may be a time when I would not want to teach because I don't want to give the wrong impression, but I would no longer be recognized as an elder. Right? 
what happens maybe throughout his life in the past. Right. Right. You would have to you always have to make the decision, is this someone who manages his household well? Does he have an exemplary situation at the moment? There may be things that have happened in the past, but he's worked through them, and now his household is exemplary. It's not necessarily permanent, right? It could be a temporary disqualification until it gets restored to the point of, of excellence. I won't answer that for him, but. Now, fortunately, I don't think this is being taped, so we're not going to say anything about the whole professional bowling thing. Right? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Did somebody have a... Very good. <laughs> I'm still going to postpone that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it ta- it's going to take a lot because there there really are two competing ways to. There's a, a word in there that you're in, in Titus that you just said faithful in your New King James. But in your New American Standard NIV, it says believing. We have we have to figure that out, and it's. But we can say what is in First Timothy three three. Definitely, that's is clear where, how it relates to children. But I want to just postpone the part about believing. But I want just think about this question if this is in your mind. How do we tell that anybody is a believer? How do we know that anybody's a believer? We can't observe it directly, right? We can only observe their behavior. So I think that's going to be the key to that. But I'm postponing. Yes, ma'am. You're going to ask about that same thing, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, again, disqualification doesn't necessarily imply anything bad on the part of the prospective elder. Right? You can keep
keep that, like the dwarf. Always remember the dwarf, right? Dwarf is a fine man. He's in no way less than anyone else, except physically. Okay, the part about children, let's do look at that. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. Right? Keeping his children under control with all dignity. Um, in other words, they're under control in a dignified way. They're respectful towards their father, their mother. They're not just beaten down all the time. I mean, anybody can keep their children under control with duct tape and a baseball bat. But that's not what it's talking about. Right? It's with dignity, with respect. Okay. Now, why is that so important? Look at the parenthetical part, verse 5. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? My wife loves me. I know. I don't understand it either. But she does. And we've been together a long time. And she knows me. And she, she gives grace to me because she understands me. My children, the same thing. There's a natural respect for me. A natural obedience. Right? Because I've always been bigger than them. And I've always been the provider for them. I've been the protector and all those things. If I can't control those people, what hope have you with people like you? <laughs> I mean, really, yeah, you don't, you don't have that natural. The Bible calls that natural affection. You don't, you don't have that because we're not blood related that way. So I have to at least be able to control, you know, small people that were born in my house and the wife of my youth. Have to keep that household under control. How could we expect otherwise? All right. Um, let's see, I didn't bring my watch today, so I have to glance over there. Does it say Tentel? Yes. Okay. There's all sorts of wires. It's hard to tell. I can tell time. <laughs> In case you're wondering. Yeah, it's not there. I don't think. It's <clears throat> I don't even know. They didn't have clocks back then. Sundial. I don't know. Uh, verse 6, it says, And not a new convert or a novice, some of you have, so he'll not become conceited and fall into the condemnation occurred by the devil. Not a new convert. So that means just obviously somebody who hasn't been saved very long, however that very long is defined. Or somebody who, we might use it to mean somebody who just doesn't have a lot of depth yet uh, as far as theologic, theological knowledge or whatever. Okay? Not a mature Christian. Yeah, um, I won't postpone that, but we will talk about that in more detail. We, the way that we, yeah, no, no, that's good. You're, you're good. You're getting me ready for next week. Um, the way that we would do this at Kootenai Church is, uh, is you know, a little different. We observe men. We observe them for a period of time. We would never consider anybody for eldership of this church who hasn't been here for a year or two, at least, that we could observe them. We live in a fairly small community. We can find out how they've handled themselves in business affairs, things like that. And then, then they're interviewed, and we talk about theology. So that's kind of how we do that, to see if a man's a novice. We wouldn't really consider somebody for eldership unless they are teaching and they show a desire to teach. So if I'm out of town, say for this class next week, if there's somebody that really would like to teach the class that could do it and do it effectively, that's kind of an indication of, okay, well, maybe there's something there. 
Those are kind of kind of things we would do to avoid to avoid this. We talked last time about being able to teach. Remember that? Would a new convert be able to teach? Maybe some, but not very much, right? They just wouldn't. That's kind of what it means to be a new convert. They just don't have the knowledge. Even if they have a teaching gift, they wouldn't necessarily have the knowledge. I don't know, but Paul Paul's exceptional in a lot of ways, isn't he? Because not only is he an apostle, so that kind of makes him special, but he knew the Scriptures before his conversion better than just about anybody, the Scriptures as they existed. And then he was receiving direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. So for, for him, almost upon conversion, he's not a novice. Right? So for Paul... And that's, we're talking here about acting as an elder, not just teaching, but acting as an elder. So handling conflict and all those other things. So you want somebody who's stable and mature in their faith. But evangelism, which was Paul's early teaching, right? We, a new convert's a great evangelist. I was converted by a new convert. Very effective evangelist because they have that initial emotional Reaction to the gospel. So, by the way, new converts are great. Right? We all love new converts. New converts are awesome. We, the, there's nothing wrong with being a new convert. Right? They're just, just they're not qualified to be an elder, but this is, we love new converts. wish we had more of them. Right? Now, it says that we don't want to put a new convert into eldership because they'll become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. If there's a tendency, if you don't understand exactly what is your role, you might get puffed up, you know, because I'm a leader um, or whatever. So you might get puffed up and conceited. And it's interesting here that fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. What do you think that means? Fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. I mean, this person will be banished to the lake of fire forever, immediately. That's the ultimate condemnation of the devil, right? Think that's what it means? You point in the temptation. You That, that pride idea, right? Right. Right. So we've got to be careful about that. That's not what it means. It, it wouldn't make sense theologically for it to mean that, right? Because they are, in fact, a convert. They're a new convert. They were, they were appointed to eldership or recognized as an elder. They shouldn't have been. They get conceited, puffed up. And they fall into condemnation. And I think what Diane said is very clear. What is the condemnation of the devil? What is his sin? His, his main sin? Pride. Yeah. That's the same condemnation they fall into. The condemnation for their pride. And that's, a, that's not a good thing to be in. And Paul's saying, hey, that's exactly the condemnation that was incurred by the devil. So we want to avoid that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that happens a lot of times. We see it. They're leading other people with them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Man with a... He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so he'll not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So again, we see that kind of terminology. But I like this. A man with a, a good... He must have a good reputation with those outside the church. And I just have a little overhead. It's a few verses about having a good reputation with outsiders. I want to read a few of those to you. You can see them up there, I hope. First uh, Timothy 3.7. You must have a good reputation with those inside the church. They'll not fall into reproach and snare of the devil. That's the one we're on right now. First Corinthians 10.32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Give no offense to not just your fellow Christians, but to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Philippians 2:14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You appear as lights among unbelievers. Colossians 4:5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. 1 Thessalonians 4:11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and attend to your own business, and work with your own hands, just as we commanded you. So you'll behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. First Peter 2.12 Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God on the day of visitation. So just as the Jews were to be a light to the Gentiles so we as Christians are to be a light to unbelievers. We are to be very mindful of our reputation among unbelievers. This is one of the reasons why I love living in a small town. Because there's no anonymity. It's getting to be more anonymous than it used to be. But if I go into Walmart and I'm talking with the checker, if I'm rude to the checker, I'm going to see the checker on the soccer field or I'm going to see the checker in church or at work. You know, we're going to see each other again. It isn't, you're not anonymous. So there's kind of a check on people's behavior, which I think is great. You go to a city, don't care about you, get out. Never going to see you again. Don't care if you ever come back. I got, a million other people lined up to see me. So maybe it's a little bit easier for us. We have that kind of check on our behavior, but it has to be true of everybody. And God is so amazingly smart. That, that sounds dumb, but when you read Scripture, it's just, you're just struck over and over again. It's, man, this is a divine work. This person who's a leader of the church must have a good reputation with those outside the church. We wouldn't think of that. Okay. But isn't that so important? Who sees you more and who knows you better than the person you sit with every day at work? And they see how you behave at work. Okay. They know you. Right. They observe you. You have to have a good reputation with those people. Now, does that mean that uh, they're all just going to think you're peachy? Everybody out in the community, the unbelieving community, is going to think you're peachy. Okay. What does it mean? You have to like you? <laughs> right. So what might, what, what might they say about, I don't like Ron, but I respect him. He's true to his principles. You know, he's obviously he's a Christian. That's the kind of thing that we... 
you're true to it. Your life lends credibility to the things that you would say. What about, uh, have you ever talked to somebody and they, you know, you say, ah, oh, you really you need, to, you need to come to church or you're sharing the gospel. There's so many hypocrites in the church. Right. Why don't you come along to just be one more? You fit right in. That's, it's, a, it's a problem, right? If there is rank hypocrisy and people see it, uh, I had a situation at work where something happened and somebody said, well, he should know better. He's uh, supposedly a Christian, a preacher. Whoa, wait a minute. We all need to behave this way. It's, you know, But yeah, it's a problem, isn't it? When somebody who especially who stands up and shares something from the Word of God who's supposed to be able to do that, there's no credibility in their teaching if they're, you know, kind of bad in their business dealings or whatever. But all of us, we have to watch the way we talk to the waitress. Right? Just because the waitress is an unbeliever doesn't mean that we can go down in the trenches and talk with her in a way that we shouldn't. We have to mind the way we do business, the way we work with our co-workers, all of that stuff. Because we have to maintain a good reputation. This is this has, is not just elders. It's everybody. We like that one. I'll give you one, just one little example. I did a funeral once. Only once have I ever done a funeral. Oh my God, I don't ever want to do another one. Um, it was somebody who died. I guess that part was obvious. <laughs> and they didn't know anybody, and and I didn't know them either. And but I knew the family, and so they asked me to to do it, and I did it. it and uh, it, they were, you know, really nice. Everybody was really nice, except for on the way out, I held the door for somebody, and they walked by and made some comment about what I'm, what did I get paid for doing that? And you know, that's fine. I, you know, kind of made a joke about it. But there is this reputation that you know people who open the Bible up have because of the publicized things that go on of being hypocrites, of being in it for the money, and all. We really have to mind our our reputation. Um, Now, I can't see what time it is. Okay, plenty of time. If there's, if we are ready, we're going to switch over to Titus. Are we ready for that? Okay, ready. You might actually get a question answered today. Go over to Titus. Titus chapter one. Give you a little bit of background in Titus. Uh, it's very similar to First Timothy. Remember the background of First Timothy. Paul had sent Timothy or, or left Timothy at Ephesus so that Timothy could make things right there. And one of the important things he had had to do was to appoint elders. And so these are the men you're to look for, Timothy. Not this. You're to look for this. And that's very similar to Titus. Titus was left to restore things to proper order in Crete. And so appoint elders, and this is what you're to look for. Right? Very similar. There's false teaching in Ephesus that had to be combated, false teaching in Crete that had to be combated as well. All right. uh, let's see. First Timothy 1. Let's just read verses 5 through 9. Did I say First Timothy? I meant Titus. Titus 1, 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. 
Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. So he'll be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So it's a, a similar list, isn't it? But there's a few different emphases there that we want to we wanna see to get a complete picture. It starts off in verse 6. If any man is above reproach. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's what we started off with the qualifications with. He does it here again, the umbrella term. But it's actually a different word, and it's kind of interesting to think about this. In First Timothy, above reproach was, you remember, not able to be held, the legal term. They couldn't arrest and hold someone. There wasn't enough evidence that they'd done something wrong to arrest and hold him. He was using that legal term, meaning that there was nothing against this man that was sufficient to cause a reproach on the gospel. But he was using this idea of being held. Here, it means that the person can't be accused or charged, spoken against. So it's, in a sense, the same idea. But for us, it would be that you couldn't even get a warrant for that person's arrest. Okay? You couldn't even get a charge written up against this person. There's not enough evidence of a reasonable charge against them. So he's using two different legal terms. They're both translated the same way, uh, above reproach or blameless. Um, same basic idea. Not exactly synonymous, but close. Then it says the husband of one wife. And we talked about that quite a lot. It's exactly the same wording. One woman man. What we know for sure is that it means above reproach in your marital and sexual life. We know that. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Because I don't want to get started again. I want to spend time on this one. Having children who believe. We got to the question. Having children who believe. Who believe. Not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Or yours might say, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Or it might say, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. The companion from First Timothy was keeping his children under control with all dignity. This is a little different. So you can see the controversy. And the question is, if a man's children are not believers, is he unqualified? Is he disqualified? And we've already heard eloquently one of the arguments on one side. Let me give you the arguments from both sides and then we'll see what you think. It's one Greek word for that's translated both faithful and believing in Scripture. Hence the problem. And I'm gonna get it's a very commonly used word. Okay? And I know you can't see all of these. I wanted to put them on one page. Um, you can take a look at all these after if you want. These are just the uses in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The uses of this word. I've underlined them. And you can see, I'll go through them. 1 Timothy 1.12 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me in the service. So there it's translated faithful. And it just means faithful. It just means trustworthy, we might say. Right? In fact, in the next one, wherever it says this is a trustworthy statement, the word trustworthy is the same Greek word. 
So it could just be trustworthy, faithful. Verse Timothy 3.11, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Translated faithful. Sometimes it's translated believer. It uses a noun form. Uh, Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe. It's the same form, or the same word, different form. For it is... For this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So the question is, which applies in this context? But, first part of the argument, translating it faithful, translating it as trustworthy, is reasonable. It's a word that means full of faith, literally. Faithful can be that trustworthy, worthy of trust. That all fits. Right? Now, the point Diane was started talk, talking about when I postponed her question on her. God is sovereign in, in salvation. God is sovereign in election. It doesn't seem reasonable or fair that God would hold a man responsible for the salvation of someone else. Does it? So that's probably it probably can't mean believing, it must mean faithful. That's one side of the argument. Okay. That's why I kind of did that slow, right? If 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 you ever hear me say it's not God's wouldn't be fair if he did that, you know, that's a not very good argument, right? If God chooses to do it and expresses it in his word, it is by definition fair. If we think it's unfair, we're wrong. It doesn't make God wrong. So that's not the way we interpret something is by first putting on our code of what is fair and approaching the Scripture. Right? That's not what we do. We approach the Scripture. That informs us as to what's fair. and what isn't. So that part of it is not a good argument. God is, in fact, sovereign in election. That part's definitely true. <laughs> All right. That's good. Even though you were late, that was a good point. Sure. Does it mean that? If, if in fact the man's an elder, he should be a believer. <laughs> That's actually not listed as qualification, but I think it's pretty clear. All right? So, he's elect. Now the Scripture, if we interpret it as believing, Scripture is saying if his children are not believers, well, now he's disqualified. Now, the Holy Spirit has made him an overseer, and now the Holy Spirit has determined that he, know, that he isn't. That's fine. That's, God can do that. That is exactly what we're saying. If we're on the other side of the argument. So let me make that clear too. This Greek word, when it is used of people, almost always refers, almost always clearly means believers. Not always. It never means unbelievers. That is clear. Okay? So some have made the, said, well, because of that, because that word is never used of unbelievers when it's talking about people, it must mean believing. 
Uh, it doesn't really follow, does it? it? It could be used here and still be faithful. So I can't put too much on that part of it. And again, as far as the fairness argument, remember the dwarf. So the fairness argument really doesn't work either. If God has determined that this is the way he's going to do it, that's the way he's going to do it. Yes. Oh, I, I've been avoiding saying it because I don't know how to say it right. And Anna's here. Uh, it's pistos. P-I-S-T-O-S is the English kind of trans, uh, whatever you call it, of that Greek word. P-I-S-T-O-S. Okay. Now remember, we're looking... We're looking for leadership and example here, right? Am I running out of time? Almost. Okay. I'm going to make this point. We'll probably have to come back to it. Again, how do we know if someone's a believer? How do we know if someone is a believer? With certainty. I cannot observe directly your spiritual condition. Right? So, what does the Scripture tell us about making those sorts of judgments? Look at their fruit. Okay? Now back to the passage for a second. Da, 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 da. Having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. I left out the pause of the comma there to kind of make my point. Having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Alright? I think all this can say, if it's going to have any practical meaning, is that it appears that your children are believers. It looks like they are. If this qualification is taken as we have to know that your children are believers, nobody's qualified. Right? Nobody's qualified. If we take it as we have to make sure that we don't know your children are unbelievers, some men are qualified. I think that's really the way we ought to take this. We can't observe your children and say we think they're unbelievers. Alright? Okay. So, really what I am saying is they ought to at least appear to be believers. That would be, you should, they should have been raised in such a manner that they have respect for authority, they're not rebellious, and they're not, you know, lost in, hopelessly lost in sin, wallowing in sin, dissipation, right? And they appear to be a believer. Okay? I do think that's a qualification for eldership. So if my children grow up and Jamie decides that, you know what, uh, this whole thing, uh, this whole Christianity thing, it never made sense to me anyway. I'm going to go ahead with the uh, this Islam thing. Sounds really good. I'm going to do that. I think I'm disqualified. I don't have any credibility if I share the gospel and my child is clearly unsafe. I don't have credibility. Maybe no fault of my own. I don't elect sinners to salvation. Okay? But I have to be an example. I have to have credibility, Right? And I don't have it. Right? Now, we don't want to get too far on the, the idea of election either. Remember, yes, God is sovereign in election, but He uses people who can rightly, effectively share the gospel. There's some evidence that I wasn't able to do that if my children are unbelievers. Okay? There's some lack of credibility on my part. We'll have to talk more about this next time, I think, because we're out of time. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
I, I may have done my part, but I may not. And there's some evidence that I didn't. Not proof, but there's some evidence. It's the same idea as with your household. It's not chaos. It's not well. It's not in order. And it may be no fault of the elder. But it's the same thing. We keep coming back to it. Yeah. It's like the dwarf. And I like I like dwarfs, by the way. We're not making fun of dwarfs. If you are a dwarf. Okay, let's pray and we'll uh, do something else. Father, we're again thankful for your word. It is challenging to us, uh, but it is, uh, it's lovely. It's beautiful and it's so ordered when we, when we dig into it and we see how it relates one to another. Um, we can get twisted up in our own thinking and I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't and that uh, we would rightly understand these, uh, these important words that we've looked at today. I pray it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.